Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of Seven Investing Now. Steve, can you see the bags out of my eyes? I, I should introduce myself first. I am, of course, Daniel Brooks Klein. Joining me is Steve Simonton. So excited to get to the show. But Steve, can you see the bags under my eyes? I can't, but I know why you're tired. Tell us. So as many of you know, we've talked about the real estate market. We've talked about my own experiences in the real estate market. So we went under contract to sell our condo in West Palm, and that's great. And that allowed us to buy the vacation property we'd like to buy in the Orlando area. Let's call it the greater Disney World area. The problem is units where we want to go are getting put on the market and selling same day, but they're not getting bid up incredibly. So there's like a narrow window of you being a good buyer. We're in theory a good buyer because we're more or less a, a cash buyer because we'll be closing our condo in a couple of weeks. So we're a contingent cash buyer. Um, so we saw a property Sunday morning that we wanted, put an offer in by 8 a.m. and then had about 17 revisions to it between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Took our, our price tag up a little bit uh, at the last minute, raised it a couple grand more, still paying less than I think it's worth. Didn't find out we got it until after nine o'clock at night. I my wife was like two thirds asleep. I had to walk up and you know and get her to sign some paperwork. Uh, was <laughs> was how uh, ridiculous it was. Uh, but very excited for those of you who uh, who have been following this. Uh, I appreciate all the kind Twitter messages and nice people saying things on Facebook. But uh, Steve, we're going to talk the stock market. I know I know that seems strange. We usually would talk uh, the NFL <laughs> draft or or what movies we did this weekend. But before we get to that, what did you and the kids do this weekend? Oh, we went and uh, visited family in, in Billings, so about five and a half hours, uh, uh, kind of central Montana. So uh, it was great. We got to just hang out and see some cousins, and everybody's vaccinated at this point. So uh, it's great. We got to, to see some folks that uh, we wouldn't normally see. I, I did something similar. I actually went through most of this drama at my cousin Hillary's house. I uh, haven't seen my aunts and uncles, my cousins in, I don't know, 13 14 months. Uh, you know, my mother is in town. So uh, a family get together, a very exciting weekend, but we're going to talk the stock market. As we go, we would like your questions and comments. Later on, we're going to talk a little bit about two fallen internet giants. That would be Yahoo and AOL. We've got mail. We are going to be talking about their latest really, really sad sale. Uh, and then we've got Anurban Mahante, who's going to talk Tesla earnings. Uh, taped an interview with Anurban over in Australia uh, last week. We wanted to get his opinion. Uh, but Steve, a lot of people have entered the stock market and that's great, but there's also a lot of risk involved. And here's the problem. The success of the market recently, call it the bull market, call it the boom, whatever you want to call it, it's created this, this artificial thing that stocks always go up. Even when we see like a good stock Dip like 2%. I'll, I'll let you jump in, Steve. Give a little rant right. here, and then we'll get to our questions and comments. Right. Uh, and that's that's the, the challenges that people have learned, uh, especially in recent months, and especially in a lot of your high growth, um, sort of very volatile, a lot of uh, really richly priced tech stocks, um, for example, have gotten hit hard uh, in recent months. And, and a lot of them are down 40, 50, 60, 70% even from their highs. So people have learned the hard way that stocks don't always go up. So um, we have a lot of people chasing returns. So they say, oh yeah, this stock is climbing and uh, it, it'll only continue to climb. And sometimes that happens with great names. Uh, you add, uh, you kind of average up 
but um, there, there are other times when the, the premiums just aren't warranted. But uh, it remains to be seen, you know, how long this sort of correction uh, will endure. But yeah, uh, stocks don't only go up, and and that's a hard lesson to learn. And uh, losing money hurts a lot more than making it feels good. So that's the challenge. This is why we take a long-term investing mindset. When we say long-term, what do we mean? We use the term hold for a minimum of three to five years. The reality is we hold as long as our thesis holds up until yeah. we get to a life moment where it's time to sell. So Steve talks about this a lot, selling some Tesla to, to pay for the down payment on his house. And it, it feels like it's bad because Tesla's gone up since then, but Steve bought a house. Like That's important. That's one of the reasons you invest. I'm a big fan of it, and I'll apply this to my real estate sale. The second I close on both properties, I will stop looking at prices on those properties until which point I'm thinking about selling the one I own. Right. So sure, if I, if I decide, hey, we're going to upgrade or maybe we want to buy another one, then I'll look. But where I'm selling here in West Palm Beach, I'm going to try to avoid ever seeing it again because I don't want to feel great that it dipped or bad that it went up. That it went up. Uh, but let's share some facts here. American households have increased... Uh, to putting 41% of their total financial assets into stocks. Ooh. Steve, that's kind of a bonkers number, isn't it? Because that's like 50, yeah. the rest is cash more or less, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, actually, um, I don't think it's it's too bonkers, but I, I do worry about the people's understanding of the risk uh, of doing so. Like I, I would say more of my uh, net worth is in stock holdings, you know, so we're kind of driving that number up, but we also do this for a living. So uh, it, it's one of those things where you you kind of worry that people may or may not uh, really understand the risks of what they've purchased and, and they're buying stocks kind of hoping they'll go up, but they don't fully understand the thesis uh, or the risks. And we'll touch on some of that shortly, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, kind of tough to digest. Yeah. So this is an unprecedented market. And as of March, 95.9% uh, of the 3000 stocks in the Wilshire 5000, I don't know why there are 3000 stocks in the Wilshire <laughs> 5000, but, but uh, there are 95.9, almost 96% are up. That is not typical. In general, yeah. in the market, you are going to get your best returns from your best stocks. And most other stocks are going to languish. You're having a lot of sort of artificial rise. That's why at 7investing, we kind of recommend uh, using our stock picks because we're not just picking things that some guy in the streets thinks are going to go up or, oh, I know, uh, airlines are going to be a recovery play. They'll, they'll go up and they, they probably will. But when things go up for the wrong reason, that's not sustainable. You want to yeah. look at a company where the business fundamentals, uh, the business fundamentals, uh, that's a, a, new, a new food product, uh, the business fundamentals are solid. A uh, little change in programming note, that interview with Anurban Mahante, we're going to release it on our social media channels uh, later this afternoon. We had a bit of a password snafu. We'll probably tack that on after the Wednesday show and play it on our social media and our YouTube uh, later today. Hard to, hard to get the password while we are on air. But Steve, let's go through our mistakes and then we will take all sorts of of questions if you have them. Uh, we might right. cover everything, so you may not have them. Uh, mistake number one, worrying about small moves by good companies. We get asked this every day. Apple moved 3%. Should I sell? Uh, Steve, what's our advice there? Uh, <laughs> just stay put. I mean, so often the best course of action is to do nothing. You know, I've gotten reports uh, from our people looking at our recommendations. They said, oh, I bought it two weeks ago. It's up 10%. Should I sell now? Um, no. Uh, they, we're buying these again with multi-year timeframes. I've also gotten emails 
oh my gosh, I bought this literally. Uh, and they've said, it's fallen 1.5%. What should I do? Uh, nothing. Uh, this is how stocks work. This isn't a savings bond. This isn't you know, a money market account. Uh, this isn't something that you, know, you get 0.1% deposits in your account um, you know, every year. It's, 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 stocks are volatile. And volatility is par for the course. Don't worry about little moves. And I would say, I'd actually extend that to say, don't worry about even larger moves. Sometimes you get post earnings pops or drops, or you know the stock will be up or down five, six, seven, eight, nine percent in a single day on no news. And this happens sometimes. Uh, in those cases, you know, I'll keep an eye on it, kind of a side eye on it, and look and just make sure that the thesis hasn't changed. And if it hasn't, I just continue to hold. Let it play out for years, and that's when gains become much more predictable. And it's okay to look at the news. So as people who are professionals, we are making stock picks. Uh, I often have CNN, CN, CNBC, whatever it is, Bloomberg up in the background. Uh, and I will look. So let's say something goes down 20%. Uh, Microsoft is my biggest holding. Let's say Microsoft drops by 20%. Um, I will look to make sure nothing happened to the CEO. Or let's give another example. Like a Starbucks, I, I have a pretty big position in. Sure. If Starbucks fell... I would be. I would look and go. Okay, was there a food poisoning scandal? Well, that passes quickly. Was there one of those incidents where like something social social justicey happened near one of the restaurants, and one side likes it, the other doesn't? Those things pass. Uh, or if Starbucks announced that uh, the price of coffee has gone up by fifty percent, well, that might impact their business and change my thesis. So it doesn't happen often, but it can happen. But even then. Uh, so let's say a company changes its CEO. Amazon is is famously in the midst of changing its CEO. I will argue that Amazon changed its CEO years ago, and they're really just shifting up the titles now. Uh, but let's say you really thought that Jeff Bezos not having the title of CEO would yeah. be really disastrous for Amazon. Even then, I would say let it play out six months. Because I didn't particularly like when Kevin Johnson became CEO of Starbucks. He's a he's an operator. He's not a coffee guy. Like he, He's very much a tech guy. And he turned out to absolutely be the perfect boss um, you know, for what they needed. Now, who knew that they would need to operate perfectly in a pandemic? But those things still would have benefited the company. He followed a different blueprint than my original thesis, right. but his blueprint played out. So we're not going to tell you to sell very often. But Steve, I'm going to skip around on our list a little bit here. Mm-hmm. We are also not going to tell you to buy bad companies. So here's a mistake people make. They don't buy good companies. They buy tickers. They buy things that they can tell a short-term thesis is going to... GameStop is a great example of this. If you could have said before all the hype, GameStop would double because you believe they can pivot their business, that's a plausible thesis. If you were going to say GameStop can 85 times, there was no argument you could make for that. So people buying into that craze are basically buying into a guess. They're buying into a spin on the roulette wheel. But Steve, I'll let you take over here. Yeah, uh, actually, there's a comment from uh, Bono JZK, uh, the second comment. He says, if a stock down 20%, if, if a stock is down 20%, should I double down or let it recover by itself? Uh, I'd say that depends. Uh, again, as we mentioned earlier, I mean, we don't, there are no hard and fast rules. Uh, and, you know, we don't, I don't use limit orders, you know, where uh, or limit sells or trailing stop losses or anything crazy thing like that to, to limit my sales. But I also don't say, oh my gosh, the stock is down 20%. I'm going to double down now. Uh, you can't say, um, you just, you, you can't use hard rules like that. I would say, again, uh, it depends. Look at what caused it to drop 20%. Is there any news 
did you like the stock at the previous valuation? Um, is the thesis broken uh, or does it remain intact? Uh, but I would say just be patient most of the time. And, and that also plays to how I actually tend to buy stocks in the first place. When I buy something, I usually buy it in thirds or quarters. Uh, so if it falls, I have a you know, little extra cash to take advantage of a continued decline. If it rises, at least I'm partially participating. Um, but yeah, it depends, I'll say. So Steve, I'll go back to our very own recommendations. This is the third of the month. Our, our new picks came out on the first of the month, uh, which yep. was Saturday. Uh, but oftentimes when I look at our picks, I might know I'm going to buy more of my pick. I'm going to buy some of Max's and maybe I'm going to buy yours or Matt's or Simon or whoever. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's Dana's. It doesn't matter. I'm going to buy some. Now, if I know I'm going to buy some, but I was planning on buying it next week when the money transfers into my account. If I see the stock drop 20%, I will absolutely transfer that money sooner and buy it. It's like if you walk into a mall and you know in a few weeks you need a new suit and you see suits right. are 50% off. So use there are no hard and fast rules, but certainly you can use price fluctuation as a way to benefit you. You know, if uh you know, if, if we get a free delivery coupon from Grubhub, we might order food instead of pick it up on a on a weeknight. You know, so definitely yeah. factor in basic economics. But you mentioned something that I think is an absolute danger, uh, and we are absolutely happy to take your questions and comments. See a few others in the queue. Uh, anything on investing? Uh, we'll talk about some specific stocks if you want. Uh, but that being said, stop loss orders. Stop loss orders to me are a nightmare. So you own a good company. Um, that company has some mild bad news. You own Chipotle and they have another three people get E. coli and the stock drops by 30% and you get sold out of it. But then that afternoon, you, you read a report that says, oh, it actually wasn't E. coli. Those people had been on a roller coaster beforehand and they, they just threw up because they didn't feel well or, or they had COVID and they didn't have it from the restaurant. They, they, they had it or the market recognizes that three people getting E. coli in a restaurant that uses fresh food is not that big a deal. And all of a sudden, the next morning, it's recovered 28% of that 30%. You sold out. You can't necessarily buy back in at the price you paid. So if you believe in a company, you don't want to put automatic triggers that get you out of that company. But Steve, something terrifying is happening in the market. So why don't you explain a little bit, after I throw out this mistake, what margin is and why it's essentially a terrible idea. So we are at a record right now for people using margin to buy stocks. That is borrowing money to buy stocks. I will also assume we are at a record for people doing things like home equity lines of credit uh, to buy stocks. We do right. not ever recommend this. This is a massive mistake. Steve, why don't you explain what it is and why? Yeah. So uh, when you are buying a margin, it's essentially uh, your broker will lend you money you don't have in order to buy stocks. Uh, so it, you're basically leveraging against the money that you do have. And uh, I, I think it, the statistic was something like uh, retail investors had $814 billion in margin uh, that they're trading on. So you actually pay them interest. It's, it's essentially a loan uh, to buy these stocks. But the other problem that you run into is if your portfolio declines by a certain amount, uh, you can have what's called a margin call. And they'll say, hey, uh, by the way, we want you to repay that money right now. And you're going to have to sell other stocks to cover that loan and repay everything. Uh, but it, it's a huge risk because stocks are hugely volatile. And uh, to borrow money to buy things that you don't have, um, you know, and, and uh, I guess you could extend that also to people taking out loans against their home uh, or, or things like that that uh, 
that it's 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 massively risky and uh, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble really quickly paying trying to pay back money uh, that you don't have yeah and the problem is people fall in the trap of if the average return on the stock market is nine percent on an annual basis and I could borrow money at at four percent or three and a half percent or whatever it is uh, on your home that seems like well I'll just make six percent. But here's the problem. That's like saying, if I count cards, I'm going to win 51% of the time playing blackjack. The problem yeah. is, I don't know which 51%. So you could have a bad luck of market. You could have years where the overall return of the market is bad. You could have yeah. years where you return your picks aren't great. And over a 30-year career, that won't matter. Uh, but over those two years... The reason I am so vehemently against taking you know, loans against your house to do anything, but certainly to buy something risky. It's one thing if you take a home equity loan to redo your kitchen and increases the value of your house, uh, but you live in your home. If things go wrong and you can't afford to pay back your added home debt, you know what they do? They take your home and then you live in your car. That is a problem. I am a big believer in security. Part of why we bought the property I was talking about at the top of the program is we will own it outright. You can't actually live there full time, but if, if we decided, hey, one year my wife wants to take six months off, you can live there six months a year, uh, we could live there at almost no cost. It's a relatively, you know, cost us five or $600 a month to live there. So she could not work or if things went terrible and, and one of us was out of work or whatever it is, right. we have that six month security blanket of, okay, we got a place to live, you know, where we can, we can figure things out. We can get back on our feet. Don't take chances with your house. You know, you don't put your kids, you know, my son's 17. Um, we're going to take some money from uh, our, our complicated property swipping around uh, and put that into a college fund. Now, he's not going to go to college for about three years. So some, if he goes at all, uh, and he may just take classes, he may you know, get a degree over tenure, who knows? We're going to put money yeah. into the market, but most of the money we would need for year one if he was to go full-time to a state school will not be in the market. And if he does decide to do that, as we get three years out from the date of when we'd start paying that, we will at the right time make those sales and put it into very, very conservative. When I say very conservative, whatever the best bank account rate I could find, which is probably going to be like, you know, around less than 1%. Yeah. Because you don't want to have the market crash or even just go down 20%. Like, hey, sorry, you can't go to college this year. Like, that can be a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me answer one from our own Matt Cochran. Uh, Matt, that does not include the primary residence. That is just cash assets. So it's not your total holdings. It's the common, it's, this is the number we were talking about before, where about 43% of people's uh, net worth, aside from their house, uh, is in the market. That's instead of being in bank accounts, and, and instead of being in CDs or bonds or, or whatever else it might be, some of that is passively invested. Some of that is in mutual funds. Some of that is in ETFs. What I would be careful with is the emergency fund. I have a one-year emergency fund. A lot of people have a six-month emergency fund. You really need to look at your life and go, okay, if, if I lost my job, if my spouse and I both lost our jobs, how long could we get by? And if that number isn't six months, and remember, you might spend less money if you're out of work, so you can you can adjust some things down, like your cost of commute or eating out or whatever it is. If you don't have that, you probably need to get there before you start investing in the stock market. Now, you might be okay with three months if you're younger, or if you do something that's you know easily replaceable. If you're a you know a programmer in a high demand field, maybe you don't need six months. Uh, but for most people, six months is a good number. Steve, why don't you take whichever comment you would like to? Sure. Uh, there's a comment from 112 
Terrace, uh, I, I could have mispronounced it. The issue seems to be holding on to stocks for years and the ne narrative never materialized. And he continues, at some point, you need to give up and move your money to a better company or stock. Uh, and uh, that's a good point. Um, but that's exactly why we buy and hold for years. And if, for those of you who are actual seven investing subscribers who pay for our service, uh, we do have a what to watch or what we're watching section, uh, essentially uh, with metrics that you should be keeping an eye on to see if the thesis is playing out. And if that thesis has material, materially changed or you no longer believe that they're capable of delivering on that, sure, you could sell it and put your money to work elsewhere. But uh, there are other cases where... Uh, the, the thesis really playing out takes years and years. You know, I, I offered NVIDIA as an example, and that was the stock that I, I sold, you know, several hundred shares to help pay for our uh, down payment on our house five years ago. And uh, funny thing was, I still hang on to some of that position. Um, but if you look at their charts, you know, the, the thesis really playing out, you know, it, it languished for several years before it really took off the way I thought it could. And uh, and then you have sort of that hockey stick chart that happens when everything actually starts to materialize. So um, patience is paramount uh, when it comes to investing in the stock market. And, uh, and yes, you, you but, have to- But there, are, there are times where you look at where your money is invested and you right. decide there are better opportunities. And I'll give yeah. a, a good example. When BlackBerry moved away from making devices and, and changed into a software company, uh, when TiVo largely switched and became a patent company, they sell some great devices, actually, but they're not really a device company. So yeah. both of those two companies change from public-facing ventures to ventures that you don't really see. And I didn't hold either one, but I liked both companies and could have purchased either one. At some point, I likely would have pivoted away because in those scenarios, the public was never going to view those companies as really successful behind-the-scenes companies. They right. were always going to ask, when are you putting out a phone? Is there going to be a new phone? Is there going to be a new, you know, TiVo device? And look, there is a new TiVo device. I own it. It's $49. It works better than a Roku. It actually is partnered with Roku. It has some really cool features and nobody bought it. It's not successful. And it's irrelevant to the success of that company, yeah. which has over a billion dollars a year in patent revenue and is just combined with another company. So in some cases, you do have to look at, I'll call it anti-momentum. Or just like it doesn't matter what a company does. It doesn't matter how great its numbers are, how much of a turnaround story it is. It's no longer interesting to the media and it's just kind of never going to get attention. That can make smaller stocks a lot more volatile. Sandeep yeah. David, we're going to take your question at the end of the show because it's company specific. If you have more investing questions, we got a few more minutes here. Uh, Steve, I'm going to throw out another mistake and that is not understanding the risk profile of what you're buying. Yeah. So uh, that's... That's maybe one of the biggest mistakes that people run into. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're caught completely off guard uh, by a risk that they didn't even know existed. And, the, you know, the stock is down huge. And uh, that's also a reason why, um, you know, we include a section in our reports on, on the primary risks uh, that companies are facing, key risks. Um, and, and this is a big issue. You know, you run into, uh, you know, is this company paying its... It's executives way too much in stock-based compensation, maybe, but sometimes the, you know that may or may not be uh, a bad thing in some cases. Uh, is this company, uh, you know, some have have some unforeseen competitive risk that we don't understand? Um, you know, does it have a massive amount of debt coming up uh, that we need to know about that they'll basically default and go bankrupt? Uh, does it have unfavorable contract terms? Lots of different things we look at, uh, but you know, we also rank. Um, 
you know, risk from low to very high and uh, to determine really uh, what kind of potential reward um, because uh, that you could incur. Because often, you know, higher risk companies do come with higher potential rewards. But you need to really understand uh, all of the risks that face your company as part of building a comprehensive thesis. And I will point out that my pick this month, our picks came out May 1st. If you'd like to see what our picks are, you, of yeah. course, have to join 7investing. We will tell you how to do that uh, in a few seconds. But my pick is very risky. It's not very risky because it's not a great company. It is very risky because if something happened, there are a couple of triggers that could force the company to strategically use a bankruptcy. If yeah. they did that, they, they'd likely continue to be a company. But shareholders usually get wiped out to zero in that situation. So we saw all those people trading JCPenney and Hertz during the, the bankruptcy period. And of yeah. course, when the bankruptcy period ends, they get, bloom wiped out. <laughs> it, it, there are bad ideas that people follow. And yeah. look, a really good company. Uh, if you look at uh, Mac Chasco's picks, uh, lots of picks in the biomed space. And some of those companies, I own all of them, every one since I, since I joined. I bought, made a small bet on each one. Those companies run the risk of not getting an approval or it works in a well and early testing. And then in stage three testing, you find out it causes blindness or your ears fall off or, or whatever it might be. So, but yeah. those companies, if they hit, look, if I bought the company that's going to figure out how to cure specific types of cancer, well, that's going to make up for three that fail. So yeah. we explain that risk to you. So if you subscribe, you go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Not only do you get our picks, and with each pick, you could just read the summary. You could just read the takeaway and go, okay, hey, I like this company anyway. Steve picked it. I'm going to buy some. You could read the entire report. That report tells you the competitive marketplace, tells you what the leadership's like, shows you what the vision is, explains why it's our, my top pick that month and not another month. We also record a video. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing one today. Uh, they come out the 8th. Each one of us, I always say 15 minutes, but none of us has ever gone shorter than 30 minutes. Uh, we present a slide deck on our pick, and then we get questions from the team. And I got some pointed questions from the team, not on the fundamentals of my pick, but why did I pick it now? Why didn't I pick it two months ago or two months from now where there might be less risk? Uh, you know, And those questions, you get the answers to. You don't have to watch the whole call. You could read the transcript. I'm going through the, the my transcript uh, uh, right now. That's what I was doing before the show. But yeah. it's an incredibly valuable membership. $17 a month or $170 a year. That gets you 12 months for the price of 10. Well, we'll throw it up one more time and then we'll move on here. 7investing.com slash subscribe. Uh, and of course, if you have any questions about joining uh, before you do, before you, uh, you know, I, I was about to say write the check, but nobody writes a check. Before you put in your credit card info, you can message us at info at 7investing.com or hit either one of us up privately on Twitter. We are more than happy. Our Twitter handles are, are right on screen in front of you. I am at Worst Ideas 7. Uh, and that is the number seven. Steve is at seven. That is the number seven. Investing Steve. Uh, the capitalizations don't matter. Uh, we are always happy to hear from you. But Steve, I woke up this morning to you had filled in the doc. And for what we're watching, we were going to talk about Verizon potentially selling AOL and Yahoo. And in the time between you putting that there and me going to the doc, uh, the sale actually happened. And it's a pretty right. sad sale. Do you want to go through how, how far the mighty have fallen? Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it's funny because yesterday I was like, hey, you know, Verizon might sell its its media businesses. And this was it was previously known as Oath uh, and, and Verizon Oath. It was like their their media centric. Uh, and mostly it was comprised of AOL and Yahoo, which uh, Verizon bought for like four and a half billion dollars each uh, in 2015 and I think 2017 respectively. Uh, so they spent almost $9 billion on these. It's actually selling off these properties to Apollo Global for 5 billion. It's going to retain a 10% stake in the business, uh, rebrand it. It was rebranded as I think Verizon Media Services and now it's just going to be Yahoo uh, because AOL, uh, you know, I mean, how many people said like knew that Verizon owned AOL and Yahoo in the first place. That's just, yeah. I I did only because a good friend of mine works there and I always right. worry about, uh, you know, cuts and, and layoffs and things like that. To give you some perspective, there was a point where AOL bought Time Warner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> AOL was once arguably the biggest media brand in the world. It was the internet for most people. Uh, you had to have the AOL if you wanted an easy to use uh, email address. Previously, if you, if you had CompuServe, which was an early rival, your email address would be like a phone number. It'd be like 643-892 at CompuServe. <laughs> it was awful. AOL could have been so much more, but they use a walled silo approach. And once the internet became non-walled, people went, well, wait a minute. Like, uh, I don't want to have to go to AOL to get you know certain things. Our our former employer, they, they laughed at them when they left AOL to go out on, on the internet. Uh, you know, people like Bill Simmons, the, the Boston sports guy who started, uh, who's no longer goes by Boston sports guy, but, uh, you know, Bill Simmons of the ringer of Grantland fame uh, was an AOL columnist and, you know, and started behind the wall there. And obviously you were only going to go so far. Yahoo was the dominant search engine. Uh, but Steve, both of these companies still have audience. Both of these, there's a right. reason Yahoo exists. Um, I don't even know if Yahoo is still bigger than Bing. It might be. Do you think they're doing this for an IPO? Like, this is no. in theory an advertising play. No, yeah. I, I think the goal was for for AOL and Yahoo to sort of, these media properties to collectively rival like your Facebooks and your Googles in the online advertising world. And, uh, you know, they still have you know, tens of millions of email addresses. They still cater to, um, you know, sort of an ecosystem of, of peripheral products surrounding them in I just, I don't see them uh, becoming anything huge. Uh, I mean, the price that they're selling this for, I think Verizon's going to get four and a quarter billion dollars or something like that, uh, along with their 10% stake in the company. And they're sort of washing their hands on it, I think for good reason. And, you know, they're going to focus on their internet provider business. Um, and that's that's much better for them. And they're obviously their wireless assets and everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't have high hopes. They did try at Yahoo. They made some, or they continued some investments that Yahoo was making as a standalone company. For a while, they were paying Katie Couric, you know, six, seven million dollars a year to anchor programming for them. That never seemed to amount to much. Yahoo Finance is still very powerful. I think it's actually kind of god awful. Like, like they've made it so you can't directly click on articles. You always have to go to a. Like it's really difficult business model and it's faded in importance. I won't, I won't share any proprietary information, but we've both had articles that, that were in the Yahoo world. And that used to mean, oh my God, I can get 3 million page views. And that became very much an anomaly in the last couple of years, rather than yeah. something that happened a few times a month uh, or, or even more often. So all of these properties are fading, but they are all sort of revivable. I would have much preferred 
uh, to see Yahoo go to Red Ventures or, or somebody in the content space. Red Ventures owns Bankrate and CNET right. and other things that they really could have mm-hmm. aggregated it with. Uh, this to me seems like a hedge fund value play where they cut, 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 and cut uh, and just figure out how to make money with the absolute core services. But I'm going to bring something else up here, Steve. As this sort of boom was happening, it became, if you have the pipe, you should also control some content. And yeah. AT&T went out and bought Time Warner. Comcast already owns NBC Universal. I feel like NBC Universal is so big that they're almost separate companies that operate kind of under the same corporate leadership. Yeah. But I've never felt right about AT&T owning Time Warner. Time Warner is a, is a bunch of cable stations. It's, uh, it's CNN. Uh, you know, it's TBS. It's TNT. Do yeah. you think AT&T should sell these companies? It's, it's not their core business. I, I think maybe they sort of like Verizon has been doing kind of chop up things that they don't necessarily need. I think it was actually a, a year or two ago that uh, Verizon actually sold Huffington Post as part of that was acquired as part of all that, too. Right. But I, if memory serves, AT&T acquired Time Warner for what was it? It was like 85 billion or something crazy. Like that was bigger yeah, that- than the Fox acquisition initially. Right. That, that, that number sounds right. And I think they would have to sell it off piecemeal. The reason yeah. I don't think they should own it is they thought owning this content would drive people to AT&T's other businesses, to its phone right. and internet business. And it doesn't because they can't say, hey, Comedy Central or, or MTV are now exclusive to AT&T customers. Sure. And from a, a streaming product point of view, they don't really have, they don't even have a Paramount Plus, let alone a Disney Plus. So I look at this and I say, like, wow, like, wouldn't Disney really want TNT and TBS? I don't know if antitrust would allow that because it would give them a, a really strong place. But maybe yeah. a, a fledgling company, you know, one I talk about a lot is not liking. If all of a sudden Fubo owned TNT and TBS, and that would be, you know, they'd have to borrow more money than they're worth to do that. Yeah. But what if uh, what if Caesars bought TNT? I mean, there, there are all sorts of companies in the sports world that could buy these uh yeah. that could that could piecemeal take these properties obviously there is value to cnn there is value to to mtv which is very very cheap programming uh that yeah. still pulls a good audience uh i would like to see them kind of break this apart you know would it be crazy for netflix to have a cable preview channel where they gave you you know the, you know, snippets of content and use things. AT&T is doing that with their audience channel, uh, sure. you know, using it. I mean, they, you know, I, I said they don't have a, a Disney Plus. They do have HBO Max. The problem with HBO Max is the vast majority of the subscribers are people who get it on a linear cable basis and yeah. you get it for free as a streaming basis. So because they, they, they're not going to like make it exclusive to, to streaming, it's not yeah. a big driver to have AT&T. Steve, let me ask you, it'll be the last question on this, uh, and then we'll take a couple of questions that are sitting in the queue here. Um, Do you think Yahoo can make a comeback, or is Google just so dominant that the only people who are using Yahoo just don't know Google exists or forgot to change their default? Well, I feel like this is people hanging on because they still like their Yahoo email address or, you know, Yahoo Finance or something like, which is just still a decent uh, syndication uh, avenue for financial news and stuff. Uh, I, I don't see a massive comeback. I see it just treading water, um, you know, and, and that's, yeah, that's that's exactly kind of where I see it. I really don't have high hopes for, for these properties and they could prove me wrong, uh, but yeah. 
to each his own, I guess. As consumers, I'd argue that we should probably all use Yahoo because it's never good to let one company dominate a market. You know, yeah. if there's only if you live in a market that only has one airline flying out of its airport, you are very, very limited when it comes to price and your ability, yeah. uh, you know, to get other places. Uh, yeah. the, the, the same is true with search engines. No one's going to duck, duck, go. You know, so, you know, I would argue you probably should use Yahoo at least 10% of the time, but you're not going to, and there's not going to be a comeback. Uh, we appreciate so many of you watching. We're going to take Sandeep David's question. Uh, Steve, I'll let you read it because you can see better than I can. Yep. Uh, he asked, do you think Splunk is losing the race to Elastic and Datadog when it comes to the competitive field of big data analytics and IT operations? Um, no, uh, I wouldn't say it's losing the race. Uh, but uh, I know there's some folks out there on Fintwit who've seen some assertions based on LinkedIn posts that Splunk might be uh, having some churn issues. Uh, I think that remains to be seen, honestly. Of course, every company is going to have some competitive losses when you have a lot of money up for grabs and uh, a lot of well-funded competitors uh, rising, trying to fight for the same pie. And this was actually an issue with Splunk a couple of quarters ago. And actually, in its most recent quarterly results, um, it had some delayed deals that it actually closed and said that it wasn't seeing a lot of the, the issues that it was seeing before as far as competitive losses. Uh, that could change when Splunk you know, releases quarterly results next. So we'll see. Uh, but I, based on their most recent results, I don't see any huge losses um, from uh, Splunk versus Elastic versus Datadog. They're all great companies and, and they're they're very interesting uh, from an investment standpoint, but I haven't lost hope in Splunk yet. We're going to take one last comment uh, from uh, Bono. Is it JZK? I can't quite see it there. Yeah, it is. Is Coinbase the new AOL? I am not even sure how you would compare the two. Uh, so <laughs> AOL used to be where your email was it would have like a news aggregate. It would have like, you'd go into AOL games and play bingo. You would go to the AOL finance board and you'd see, you know, some of the early pioneers in, in that space. You'd go to AOL sports and you'd see, you know, the, the sports pages aggregated and, and some columnists. What Coinbase is, and it's a really interesting product. I signed up for Coinbase and, a, and bought a very, very small uh, crypto piece, not even an investment. Really, I wanted to see how it worked. But what they're doing is they're making it very easy to buy cryptocurrency. They're yeah. also not selling every cryptocurrency. So they're not going to sell ones that, you know, like when Taco Bell comes out with a cryptocurrency and it's more a, a joke than it is a, a real thing. So they're giving you the education. They're giving you a safe platform. Uh, Steve, do you own any, any crypto? I don't have any crypto right now, but that's only a byproduct of being having my hands full with the, the regular equities markets. So uh, I, I would consider, you know, slowly building a position as a diversified portfolio, but uh, it's easier than ever. And that's something that Coinbase is kind of catering to. And I think um, to the comparison, like I pause and I'm like, how, how could that be comparable? I think maybe only in the sense that someone's thinking, OK, Coinbase feels like it's on top of the world right now. Right. And uh, and could potentially be this big bust a, a few years from now. And I don't see that happening. No. It, right now, if you're going to buy crypto, you're probably going to Coinbase. That is going to change very quickly. All yeah. the stock trading platforms will offer crypto. But I would argue that being first to market, that once you have an account, it's not a big deal to have multiple accounts. Yeah. Uh, and you might want to be the specific place. Seven Investing is partnered with our friends at Crypto EQ. These guys rate the different cryptocurrencies. Uh, and Steve, you and Simon Erickson do a monthly podcast with them. When is that coming up? 
Uh, that should be in the next couple of weeks here, actually. I usually wait for the invite to come and say, yes, I'll be there. Uh, but I look forward to it every single month or every single month. It's a fantastic conversation where they tackle the crypto side of things from an investment standpoint. We talk about crypto from an equity perspective and uh, a really nice um Nice conversation every month. I'd like to learn a lot more. Maybe have one of those guys on on, on 7investing now. I'd like to learn a lot more about the environmental part of crypto. I know early crypto mining was very, very energy intensive, and I see that pushback a lot. And then I see a lot of people pushing back and saying, no, that's not the case anymore. So there's a lot about the technical aspect of crypto. I don't own it, except for this tiny little piece that I bought just to see how the process works on, on Coinbase. I don't own it because I don't understand it. And when I don't understand something, I can't put my fingers on it. If you look at my stock portfolio, the vast majority of stocks I own are companies I use. And if it all of a sudden became that it was really easy to use crypto, you know, to buy your latte, maybe I would do it. But I'm also afraid of like, well, I just, you know, what if 10 years ago I used a Bitcoin to buy my latte and now it's like worth (laughs) $53,000. Like like that to me would be very, very, but I promise- Uh, seven investors, we will keep up on this. We will have some guests. Well, certainly that podcast is for members only. That's another great reason to join seven investing. Steve, I'll give you the last word on crypto here. Yeah. yeah, Again, I think you run into the same argument as buying great stocks and and paying for things with a life event, like me selling 275 shares of NVIDIA for $21 a share when it's above 600 now, you know? So uh, now that little five six thousand dollar position that i dropped it'd be worth closer to 150 and and uh hey it happens uh but you know I, it, I, it's, it's i will of, point out that your house has also gone up in value significantly it has it has so yes uh, i guess depending I, I suppose that latte you drank five years ago isn't going to be worth a, a heck of a lot more uh a few hours I, later I, I, <laughs> I go i go back to homer simpson waiting till november 1st to sell his pumpkin futures like you know you gotta sell those before halloween Sam Bailey, thank you for producing the show. It is now time to hit our finisher. Which company had the best quarter? Overwhelmingly, people said Apple. And Apple had the best quarter, uh, I think two quarters in a row, I could say Apple had the best quarters it's ever had. So I could see that argument. A lot of people said Facebook. Facebook had a great quarter too. Uh, Steve, not a lot of people said McDonald's. And a small amount said Tesla. I'm going to go contrarian here. McDonald's had the best quarter. Here's why. All of the conditions were great for Apple. Apple is coming in a super cycle with 5G forcing people to buy a new iPhone to have access to that network. People are stuck at home. They're looking for things to do. They're looking for new computers. Kids are doing school at home. They need new iPads. That's a great condition for Apple. Tesla's a little harder to explain, but McDonald's, with dining rooms closed at many of its locations, are operating in limited capacity for part of the quarter, with people getting delivery and drive-through. Drive-through is fine if you eat it right away. I don't know who would get McDonald's delivered. Their same-store sales rose by double digits. I think when you put everything into context, yeah. um, you know, I'm not a big McDonald's eater. I, I don't go to McDonald's. I don't own it because I don't want to own something I don't like. Uh, yeah. But that said, this is an incredibly well-executed company. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, that was an exceptional quarter uh, by any measure. Um, I mean, unless you... I guess count the fact that that Apple over the course of uh, a couple of days generated as much revenue as McDonald's generated the entire quarter. But I mean, what do you <laughs> do? The uh, uh, I guess uh, from a, a purely financial sense, uh, looking at like the cash generation ability of Apple and its current state, maybe not its future potential because it's part of this kind of super cycle. Who knows where it's going to go from here? But uh, goodness sakes, uh, I think I probably would have voted Apple here. But I see the argument for 
for McDonald's. Uh, Facebook's quarter was fantastic on the heels of uh, a decent rebound in advertising spend. Tesla's quarter was encouraging. I wouldn't say uh, the blowout that a lot of people had hoped for, and we've touched on that a little bit in recent days. So let's use this to tie back to investing mistakes. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is a mistake to buy any of these companies based on this quarter. If you buy Apple because they had a great quarter, recognize that Apple is probably not going to have as great a quarter a year from now. A year from now, they are probably going to be running on the sales of an incrementally better, not a revolutionary better. 5G is a major change. The phones may not look that different, but being able to access those networks. You might see at McDonald's, you might see same store sales drop year over year next year because we can all go to nicer restaurants and the world feels more normal and we're not as driven to comfort food. What do you do as a long-term investor? You don't look at year-over-year numbers. You look at the trends. So if you say, okay, they were were up 13% this year, and next year they're flat, well, they equaled being up 13% over the previous year. They've come out of the pandemic with a bigger sales boost. Now, that's not the story with Tesla. Tesla has to continue to grow, but if Tesla sells 300,000 cars one quarter and 600,000 the next, the important number is 900,000 cars sold over two quarters. We look at longer trends. We don't, we, we follow the quarterly numbers because it's our job and because we own some of these stocks and we're interested. And certainly we'd want to see if like if Apple came up with these great numbers, but their service line, which they've pledged to grow uh, exponentially was down 8% or only grew 2%. That yeah. might be, you know, call it a yellowy flag or a yellowish red flag. Uh, so, you know, that could happen. But don't get too hung up in any of these numbers. Uh, I'm going to be back on Seven Investing now Wednesday. I'm going to I'm going to guess uh, Max Chasco, maybe Dana Abramovitz, maybe Simon Erickson. Not entirely sure. Steve, thank you for doing this. Sam Bailey, thank you for being here. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at seveninvesting.com. That is usually Steve. Uh, ask him for his uh, his favorite recipe on the grill. Ask him questions about our site, about joining, about your membership. You're having problems. Like I learned the other day that when we send out the picks to members, uh, you won't necessarily get them the second we send them because it takes a while for it to get to everybody. I got mine at like, I don't know, noon, somewhere around there. Uh, so some, some people, I sent them to Steve to ask that question. Hey, why didn't I get my picks? The answer is they haven't come out yet. Um, you know, so... If you want to talk to us, if you want to interact with us, if you want to promote us, we always appreciate people sharing links to 7investing now, people sharing their affiliate subscriber codes. If you do that, uh, tag us at 7investing. That's our Twitter. If you share your affiliate code, we will reshare it uh, individually, and that will get your friends a discount on signing up for 7investing, and it will get you a free month. You do that, 12 of your friends sign up, you get a free year. 50 of your friends sign up. You get like four plus for years. It can grow. We appreciate everyone out there doing that. I will be back on Wednesday. Thank you for watching. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.